Hey guys, and welcome to Give It The Beans. This is episode number six, and today we are talking about a little bit of a controversial uh, topic in the industry that uh, there is little known of, and often is given uh, quite a bad name just because people don't know too much about it. So today we are going to talk all about the physiology of anabolic steroids. Now, before we get started, this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be deemed as advice, whether that be medical or hypothetical. If you are going to participate in anything spoken about, I would strongly recommend you contact a medical professional uh, before doing so. But as we said, the, the aim of this podcast is to talk about the physiology of anabolic androgenic steroids, a little bit about what they do, the side effects of them, and that will be that. We're not going to discuss anything more. Future guests may perhaps be brought on to discuss what you could hypothetically run or what some people may run in regards to a competition prep. But I thought before you listen to that, you probably best want to know a little bit about the actual actions of these hormones, what they do within the body. And ultimately, um, the reason I'm doing this, I put a poll on Instagram and uh, it was apparent that everyone wanted to know about them um, because about 93% of people said yes when I asked if you wanted a podcast on this and uh, 7% of you said no. So if we were to just talk about what are or what is steroids, they are all going to be derivatives of testosterone. Now, testosterone is the primary male sex hormone in the body. Uh, the average male will probably produce about 11.5 milligrams of this on a daily basis. Females would be about a quarter of a milligram. So you could see the difference um, from male to female in regards to that females will actually have a little bit of testosterone in them, but males have obviously got a far amount. Now, people are probably wondering, well, Vaughn, what the hell does a hormone mean? We're just talking about a substance that will be transported in tissue fluids, you know, such as the blood, uh, that will stimulate a specific cell or tissue into action. For example, muscle growth. Now, Testosterone in males is produced in certain cells within the testicles, and these cells are called Leydig cells. Now, this has a negative feedback loop system with the hypothalamus, in which it's a, the hypothalamus will produce LH and downregulate and thus stimulate the testes to produce testosterone. So for people that are perhaps injecting testosterone into their body, uh, this negative feedback system will cease because there is a constant um, flow of testosterone within the body that's kept quite high. So the hypothalamus does not see a need to for us to produce any natural testosterone. Um, that's why you could or hear about that when guys are taking anabolic steroids, often they will experience testicular atrophy. But before you inject it, you know, you can often see the effects of testosterone more potently whilst a male is going through puberty. You know, you see some dramatic changes within their body. You'll see their body and facial hair grow. 
their voice will deepen. Sometimes during puberty, people can get a little bit of acne uh, just due to the sort of oily output of subcutaneous glands that are within the skin. Obviously, you've got the maturation development of the sexual organs, the maturation of sperm, um, along with increased libido. Now, we would call all those effects androgenic effects of testosterone. So people regard testosterone as only anabolic, which by anabolic we mean growing. We mean you know increased protein synthesis leading to muscle accumulation. But people often don't know much about these androgenic effects. And obviously there's a whole host of steroids out there that may have different anabolic ratings and anogenic ratings. And people may take certain compounds during a bulk, during a cut, um, without really thinking about those effects. And they're something that I think you've got to hypothetically think about before you were to use such substance. But testosterone itself, um, it will interact with a various amount of tissues in the body. Noticeably, the one that everyone knows, the muscle, those of you that perhaps don't know, it will also react with the skin, the scalp, the kidneys, bone, central nervous system, and prostate. So you're probably wondering, like, right, how does testosterone do this? And I'm going to try and keep this as simple as I can, and that's the whole aim of every single podcast, to put it across in layman's terms. So if I do geek out at any point, I will stop myself, um, try and go back, but some of the descriptions um, might get a little bit geeky, which for those of you that are um, you know, good with physiology, um, we, you know, you'll love that for those of you that aren't. Um, just sift through those bits and just stick with me and I promise you uh, that you'll get some, some decent quality, relatable information out of it. So if we think of testosterone um, itself, it's going to bind to what we call an androgen receptor. And what I like to call this is like a lock and key mechanism. So if we think of the receptor, which is in those tissues we just talked about, the receptor is going to be the lock. Right, and it's only going to be activated by the hormone, which is the key. So testosterone itself will be moving about the blood through uh, different sort of carrier proteins. Again, we don't need to go into them. We could spend a whole podcast speaking about them. Once it gets to a certain tissue, it will bind to its receptor site, the androgen receptor. Um, this is in what we call like the systole part of the cell. This forms what we would call a receptor complex is going to move to what we call a cell nucleus attached to specific sections of the cell's DNA and we're just going to call that a hormone response element. Now that that's pretty technical right? Now I can't really put that out in layman's terms apart from the fact that after it does that it pretty much migrates to a different part of the cell. It's going to activate what we would call transcription of a specific gene. Now, transcription is the first step of DNA-based gene expression. And again, we don't need to go into that. Far too complex, and we could be here all day. But in muscle, it will cause, like that alone, will cause an increase in the synthesis of two primary contractile proteins. You've got one called actin, one called myosin, which... If you're unsure of any of those terminologies, just give them a wee Google for me, please. Um, and this will ultimately cause muscular growth. 
So once this messaging process is completed, uh, that complex that we talked about is just released and you could say, call it that the lock and key mechanism uh, dissociates. So the testosterone would then be free to go back into circulation and sort of impact other tissues. Now this process alone might take four to six hours. So it's not just a case of minutes or seconds. It does take uh, a long time. So if we think about that as an example that goes on within muscle tissue, we need to remember that also it is expressed and interacts with other tissues in the body. If you're unsure, just have a flick back to error on this podcast. And I'm just going to use the kidneys as an example. So what happens in that same process in the kidneys? What would be something like the effects? Now, it is going to what we call augment your red cell production. And by that, I mean just going to increase your red blood cell count. But then again, that can have a little bit of an added benefit for performance, such as you know increased oxygen carrying capacity to muscle tissue. Now, a lot of people out there may only attribute that sort of side effect of steroids with the likes of equipoise. You know, and it's it's well evident if you see anyone that has used equipoise for a long period of time. I've had this as well, on their blood work, uh, you will see an increase in red blood cell count, but what it will also do is it will also alter just the formation of your red blood cells and make them more oval shaped than spherical. Now, after that, you know, that, that process of laying down new blood cells after the EQ, uh, or taking EQ has ceased, um, that might take about six, eight to 10 months before the spleen has sort of done its thing as such in regards to new blood cell production. But that is just something I thought I would add in that um, many people misconcept that they think that just normal, quote-unquote, normal steroids, right? What I mean by that is just testosterone or derivatives or anything else other than EQ won't do that when, in fact, uh, all anabolic androgenic steroids will have that same effect on red blood cell count. It is just more potent within EQ itself. Now, we can also think about testosterone's effect on adipose tissue or fat tissue. Yeah, we call that androgen responsive. And here, these hormones are going to support fat mobilization. So, if you don't know what that means, it just means that taking testosterone will probably ultimately mean that you might not hold as much body fat. And this is why you'll see guys, bodybuilders, obviously with a lot of testosterone within the body, are able to get down to extreme levels of body fat um, whilst holding on to a little bit or heck of a bit of tissue. And that's something that we'll get on to here. So it's a good sort of transition to talk about the indirect effect of anabolic steroids. And... By that I mean it's anti-glucocorticoid effect. Now that's again a big word, but what I mean uh, by that, and I'm sure all of you have heard of the enemy of muscle gain, uh, which is cortisol, uh, which is produced in copious amounts when we are stressed. Uh, If you remember back to the previous episode with Luke, uh, you'll hear all about that. So if you're unsure on what cortisol is, what it does, um, go listen to that for me please. But if we know that testosterone itself or higher levels of testosterone will put cortisol at a disadvantage to do its thing it will thus mean 
that our capacity to hold on to tissue is higher. So it's why when like in a caloric deficit, you'll hear people say like, oh, that guy's not losing any tissue because he's on gear. Well, one is because obviously you've got that muscle building signal is so high, but two, cortisol cannot it can't act as it usually does simply because we have a higher level of androgens receptors within the body due to the increased levels of testosterone. Now other indirect effects of testosterone would be the likes of an increase in the synthesis of creatine. This does play a crucial role in the manufacturing of ATP or we're just going to call that energy and Another indirect effect could be such like insulin-like growth factor or IGF-1, which is simply a hormone that is a major, major mediator of growth hormone itself, which promotes growth in all tissues. And if you want to know more about that, I'd probably recommend going and checking out the Muscle Mentors podcast. I think they do one with Joe Jeffries. Uh, It's pretty good. But again, we could be here all day talking about growth hormone, so we won't do that. Now, many of you might know that people that take testosterone um, might be using something to lower their estrogen and you're probably wondering like why why are they doing that why does that happen so testosterone within the body in a male's body can be converted into estrogen now structurally testosterone is very similar to estrogen Uh, there's just a slight alteration uh, by an enzyme called aromatase now this sort of activity usually occurs at in adipose tissue, in the liver, and skeletal muscle, and the gonads. But for us males, in large amounts, it will cause a significant amount of water retention, an accumulation of body fat, other side effects such as gynecomastia. So this is where guys will use the likes of an aromatase inhibitor. So they would st- like that means that the aromatase, aromatase enzyme. Um, cannot do its job. So these are going to be things like Arimidex or Romicin. Now they in themselves might have some side effects as well, but again, I will not get into that right now. But estrogen itself is not the enemy or an enemy, right? It's it's all about the balance or the ratio between testosterone, testosterone and estrogen. You know, estrogenic steroids um, are ones that have a high affinity for the rheumatase enzyme it's no secret that the ones that have a high affinity for producing estrogenic side effects are the best for producing mass. And again, we'll get to that in a second. Now, a lot of people that think that's just due to the increased water intake, they're like, yeah, I've got a bit of water in me, mass moves mass. But what they don't understand, it's actually just due to something like increased glucose utilization, increased growth hormone secretion and androgen receptor proliferation. Now, again, complex words, but it just means that you could handle sugar, carbohydrates better. There's more growth within tissues and there becomes more receptors for the androgen, the testosterone to actually bind to. So that you might think in your head, right, that means I'm going to, that means hypothetically someone might run quite high testosterone versus something like nandrolone. Now, I'm going to tell you why, in my opinion, I personally wouldn't do that. Now, if we start off with testosterone, it is converted to a 
intermediate called dihydrotestosterone. We're just going to call it DHT. And it's, it's done by an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. Now, when this happens, it does make this DHT compound three to four times stronger than test. So they simply remove a, a double bond between a couple of carbon atoms and introduce a couple of hydrogen atoms. I say they, I'm talking about what the enzyme does. Now, what that does is it makes DHT bind to the receptor, androgen receptor, um, much more potently than its parent. You could call the parent testosterone. Right Now, 5-alpha reductase, the enzyme that does this, is quite high in the likes of your skin, your scalp, and your prostate. So if you were thinking about, oh, well, I want to put on loads of loads of muscle mass, so I'm going to use high test, well, that's all well and good, and yeah, you will you will put on a lot of a lot of muscle tissue. However, uh, you will be getting uh, quite high androgenic side effects as well, which of course we don't want to be doing that. So we could use the third naturally occurring and synthetic steroid uh, known as nandrolone. So we've talked about testosterone, DHT, and now we're talking about nandrolone. And you're probably wondering, well, Vaughn, what the fuck is is nandrolone? Some of you may know it as a 19-nor, and the reason it's maybe called that is because it's identical to testosterone, but it just lacks uh, carbon on the 19th position, hence why it's called 19-nor. Now, arguably, nandrolone has the sort of greatest effect of anabolic to androgenic ratio versus the likes of your DHT or your testosterone. And that's because when it is reduced by 5-alpha reductase, this becomes dihydronandrolone. So we talked about testosterone is reduced by 5-alpha reductase into DHT. So this compound called nandrolone is reduced by 5-alpha reductase into dihydronandrolone. Now, we also said that DHT uh, becomes three to four times stronger in binding in androgenic tissues, such as your prostate, your skin, your scalp. Well, dihydronandrolone is in fact, or becomes three to four times weaker than nandrolone itself in androgenic tissues. So that is the complete opposite to what happens with testosterone. So in your head you're thinking, right, I can use a compound where I would get just as much anabolism, and by that we mean, you know, I'm, I'm just talking solely in, in muscle tissue, and I'll get much less in I'll get much less side effects in androgenic tissues. That is personally why I would favour using higher nandrolone-based drugs in a bulking phase. Yes, we might get a little bit of water retention with that. We can control estrogenic side effects with the use of AIs. But doesn't it make sense if we are thinking longevity from health-wise to keep test lower and to keep nandrolone higher. That is my philosophy. Um, I'm sure there'll be people out there that will um, disagree, but I'm always going to come from a standpoint of health, 
or to keep health in the best possible place whilst I'm having a limited effect on, on the body. And we'll talk about uh, side effects here uh, towards the end of the podcast. Now, there might be some of the, you out there wondering, um, well, Vaughn, what about the likes of Prima Bolin that is not nandrolone-based? And it's not test-based, it's DHT-based. So if we already know that testosterone is reduced into DHT, right? DHT then cannot and will not aromatize. So one, we don't get estrogenic side effects from that. And it's not affected, because it's already DHT, it's not affected by 5-alpha reductase. So in androgenic tissues, it becomes no weaker or no stronger. But its actual binding, like the likes of injectable Primo, um, orals like your Anavar and your Winstrel, they're all DHT derivatives. What the binding to the receptor isn't that great, and that's why you'll see the likes of quite high Primo in some people's cutting cycles. Um, whether it's cotton prep or whatnot, uh, it is a it is a drug used because of its minimal sides, but it does increase overall anab- anabolism within the body. So um, that will cover, that should cover uh, the three sort of naturally occurring steroids that uh, are used as a base for all other derivatives, uh, whether it be your, as I said, testosterone based, your which would just be, you know, testosterone enanthate, sipinate, or your um, DHT-based drugs, which would be like your Primo, your, if they're orals, it's going to be your Anavar and your Winstrel, and Nandrolone, you're looking at NPP, you're looking at DECA. So everything I've talked about so far um, has been in regards to injectable uh, testosterone. And... There are oral steroids out there, and for those that aren't aware, oral steroids can have an impact on liver health. And this is just because of the way they're made up. They tend to like replace a hydrogen atom with a carbon atom on um, about the seventeenth position, and this this makes them resistant to breakdown by the liver. And it's also re- that process itself is referred to as alkylation. But what that does is it obviously increases liver toxicity so if you are if you were taking orals well one you wouldn't be running them any longer than about four weeks and two i'd be putting liver support in there as well orals themselves as i already said uh, the likes of if we're speaking about um especially i just spoke about winstrel and anavar um kind of like a lower affinity for binding to the angina receptor but then again, that is just a generalization, an overview of orals. I did mention uh, the words uh, sipionate, propionate in the, the last minute. And again, I'm going to backtrack because, again, the whole idea of this podcast is to give you, uh, in layman's terms, um, some of the effects of steroids and, and what some of the words mean. And I said testosterone sipionate. Now, if I was to talk about a sipionate, uh, all that means is that testosterone is a, has an ester attached to it, whether it is sipionate, acetate, propionate, enanthate, decanate. 
uh, they're all that all just means you have an ester attached to them. Now that will increase the active half-life of the steroid itself. So when a steroid is injected, it will form what we call a depot in the muscle. And over time, that is released into the blood slowly. And quickly, the ester will be taken off by bodily processes and it can do its thing. But if something is has got the words acetate after it, uh, it will likely have a half-life of a few days. And something else such as an enanthate ester, like a testosterone enanthate, might have a half-life of two, three weeks. Now, this would just mean that someone may inject a bit more frequently if they were on an acetate or a propionate versus if they were on an enanthate or a decanate ester. Now, the, th the problem being is that with the shorter esters, um, you don't tend to get much PIP. Now, by PIP, we talk about post-injection pain. So something like a decanate ester, if someone was taking a, a fair whack of, let's say, let's say it was deca, decanate, and they put a fair whack in, well, because that is that half-life is so long, that will be drip-fed into the body, and some guys might describe that as PIP or post-injection pain. So I think that's a good overview, and I could have went for about sort of hour two hours long but I'm not going to do that because let's face it you won't listen to it. Now of course there are some side effects of the use of anabolic steroids and uh, this can create a whole host of problems later in life. You know it's not a secret that will get sort of thickening of the ventricle walls of the heart and enlar you know, enlargement of the heart itself, an increase in blood pressure, um, it, you know, the use of, of, of steroids will throw off your cholesterol profile, such as a decrease in HDL, which we'd call your good cholesterol, and an increase in LDL, and we're just going to call that your bad cholesterol, which all that will do is just promote atherosclerosis, um, which is just the stiffening of the arteries in the heart, the buildup of plaque, and obviously that can lead to um, perhaps a cardiovascular event later in life. Other side effects will include, you know, the decreased uh, effect on the immune system, the toxicity from the liver if you are using orals, which again you would only use for about say four weeks. Because of its effect in subcutaneous glands in the skin, we're going to see acne. We could see hair loss if you're not sensible with controlling estrogen. You could see gynecomastia, or some guys like to call it bitch tits. Infertility is one that is often thrown about. I often feel that that is w way overemphasized because if you know what you're doing with the proper PCT and you can stimulate the HPTA axis properly post-cycle, that is easy to get on top of. And I know quite a few guys who have been on it for a long time when they've come off it, they've used proper PCT and are able to, to, to get their own natural test levels up. Then they're able to increase their own sperm count. And all they have to do is get that system that we talked about in the start of the podcast going. So again, we've got this hypothalamus, which is a part in the brain, which is going to produce something called LH, luteinizing hormone, down-regulate, tell the Leydig cells in the testes, hey, 
produce testosterone. So what people will tend to do is, let's say they've come off steroids, they wait about a month, they will take what we call HCG. Now that acts as exogenous LH. So it acts as this thing that the hypothalamus produces. So because it's acting as that, it starts telling the testes to make testosterone, right? Because you've stopped putting it in, so you need to, your body, there's, there's no testosterone going around the body. So you need to start building up your natural levels. Now, that supplementation of HCG might be, it might be eight weeks, it might be 16 weeks, it might be 20, it might be 24. That's only going to come about through getting continuous blood work to see if your natural levels have got up to, we said about 11.5 milligrams a day, there or thereabouts, right? Within the blood. Although on a blood test, it's probably going to come as sort of nanomoles per litre. Now, once that happens, you obviously need to start then producing motile sperm. And that's where something like colomid is used to stimulate the Sertoli cells of the testicles to produce motile sperm. And ultimately, a PCT process could take somewhat, say, six months to 12 months, if not longer. Um, so naturally, as we said, when you put exogenous testosterone in your body, you will, your completely natural production of testosterone will shut down. That will make the, or make you have the inability to produce motile sperm. Uh, so you could arguably say that it does act as a male contraceptive as such. You know, you got female contraceptives that they put exogenous hormones in, that shuts down ovulation. Well, males doing this, um, that will shut down natural sperm production or motile sperm production. However, I have had cases, um, I have heard cases of guys getting their misses pregnant um, whilst on cycle um, and actually I've worked with a couple of clients over the years that that has happened uh, when I said it won't happen and you should maybe come off. So I had to eat my words that day unfortunately but other side effects um, you know, increased libido as well, increased sex drive, you'll notice that massively on someone. I think the whole increased aggression is absolute nonsense. I think if someone's an aggressive person, they often have an excuse to then be a bit more aggressive and just blame it on, they say, oh, that's just the gear. Um, Lord shite, I've never heard of that. So anyone that is doing that, that's just, they're using that as an excuse. Other side effects from a health perspective, will be you know prostate enlargement and the risk of prostate cancer so again if you're our steroid user and you're not getting your bloods checked then please start doing it because ultimately health should be your main priority but when you are doing it not not a lot of companies like medichex and you three visited they will not have the psa test in the actual screening they used to have it back in 2017 I got blood work done, they had it, and then by 2018, midway when I got blood done again, they had taken it out, and now they charge an extra like 35, 40 quid for it, which um, pay for. Like, do not, please do not go to um, a GP and bother them with, you know, you want to get your bloods done because you're taking steroids. They've got far too many important things to be doing lives to be saving other people's health like you're putting your own health at risk by taking that so if you're going to do it go private you know you've got you three visited you've got medichex they have 
you know, I think it's a hormone replace hormone sport um, test you're looking for on Medichecks or Hormone Plus. Like they got tests designed, pretty much designed for bodybuilders now to check all the health markers you need to be aware of when using this stuff. If you've just finished a blast, if you're just cruising, uh, again, you should be doing this before you even put this in to get an idea of where you're at at baseline. But again, what I've found from experience is not a lot of people want to do that. They're willing to spend, you know, hundreds of pounds on gear, but yet not enough money on one test in the gear, but also actually getting the blood work done to see if they're in a healthy position to do so. If there's not anything that's manifesting um, underneath their, you know, their use of, of anabolics. And for me, it's always something I'll do. And if any blood work's off, then I will not up the dose. Uh, I will simply cruise. By cruise, we mean bring the dose down to almost a TRT dose, which might be like 150 meg to 200 meg of testy a week. And just enough to not really throw many blood markers off, but just enough to feel really good, uh, for strength to be really good, for you to retain all a lot of tissue to retain your strength but um, you've got to be cruising I would say for at least 8, 10, 12 sometimes 16 weeks in between these cycles um, if you are choosing to do it and not come off of course if you are going to come off you've got a PCT properly other side effect maybe the last one I'll touch on I've kind of went over the half an hour here um, would be you know testicular atrophy right? shrinking of the balls for those of you that don't know what that is and um, that obviously happens with the decreased natural testosterone production that happens in the testes. And you might find guys that when they put HCG in, they go, oh my, holy shit, my balls look massive. And it's like, nah, they're only massive. It's just they're back to the, probably the size they were before you start running this. Now, that is, I would say, Anabolics 101 for dummies. Um, again, I tried to not make it too complicated, but ultimately um, it was always going to be at times. If you got a lot of that, uh, please do let me know. Please do share. Uh, please do subscribe, leave a review. Uh, but I thought it was good to give you a little bit of an insight now as into what they do um, before we get a guest on that, that talks about it. And as I said before, you know, this is all about talking about the side effects in a male. Um, I didn't touch on any side effects in a female one uh I just don't believe in, that females should be taking uh, anabolic steroids, in my opinion. Uh, there's far too many detrimental effects on health, and it's simply not needed. And it does go on in today's um, sort of bodybuilding nature, but it's not something that I will ever promote. So if you are wondering about side effects within females, you're going to have to do a little bit of research on that. And if you want to speak a bit more, uh, you can uh, drop me a message on Instagram. Um, but thanks for listening guys hope you enjoyed have a good day